Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, my colleagues, Colleen Dolly and Gerard O'Connell, take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Colleen is out this week, which is why a deeper and unusually accented voice is invading your feed. I'm Ricardo De Silva, Associate Editor at America Media, a member of this show's production team, and a Jesuit priest from South Africa. I'll be your stand-in host this week. On all our minds at the moment is the Omicron variant of COVID-19, and it appears difficult for us to focus on anything else. But while the worldwide suffering resulting from the pandemic is firmly on the Pope's mind, he has also to think about what Jerry has described as his action-packed plans for his new year. So let's find out just what the Pope's plans are. Good morning, Jerry. I'm coming to you from the William J. Loeschitz studio in New York City on a cold, rainy and dark day. Good afternoon from the Jesuit Curie in Rome, Ricardo, from where I'm broadcasting and we're expecting really low temperatures. Jerry, in the very last article you wrote for us in 2021, last year, can you believe it, Pope Francis's action-packed agenda for 2022, you wrote that the Pope, and I'm now quoting you, is clearly not planning to slow down. The Pope is in good health, and his plans for 2022 indicate that he is carrying out his duties as pontiff with as much vigor as ever. There appears to be no resignation or conclave on the horizon. And that's a relief for us all. The Pope certainly has big plans, but how is he hoping to execute these safely, given the global surge of Omicron and the new variants that may arise in this year? What's the present situation in Rome? Well, the reality is that the the Pope has plans, but everybody realizes the plans are uh, dependent, in most cases, on the pandemic. We have, a, at present, one in every 50 people in this country has COVID. 1.25 million people out of a population of just under 60. And the Numbers are increasing, and by mid-January, they're expected to peak. There are very stringent measures now to enter the Vatican. You have to produce your green pass, which is the verification that you have been vaccinated two or three times. You have to have your temperature checked. You have to give details of your telephone number so they can be tracking if there's any case of the virus being contracted during your visit. I was at the Christmas mass with the Pope and everybody had the masks on and great great caution within the Vatican itself because where several cardinals have in fact gone down with the virus. Many officials of the Vatican have suffered. Swiss guards, the gendarmerie. Uh, in, in fact, uh, the Vatican has just uh, made known that 
the bishops from the Netherlands, from, from Holland, were due to come to Rome for their ad limina five-year visit on the end of 31st of January to 5 February. But at their request, because of the COVID situation in the country, they've asked that it be postponed. So it's in this context that the whole of 2022 is under the cloud of the pandemic. And we hope that the cloud will gradually disappear over the air, but nobody knows. Yeah, let's certainly hope that that cloud does dissipate, especially given his international travel plans, which we will get to. But staying in Rome, there are many plans, whether the Pope gets out of Rome or not, there are many plans for Rome itself. You wrote in the article that the Pope is expected to publish this long-awaited constitution for the reform of the Roman Curia, Predicate Evangelium, uh, Preach the Gospel, as it's translated into English, sometime in the first six months of 2022. Let's, let's just start. I mean, what is the Curia? Who, is, who makes up the Curia? Just so that our listeners are on the same page with us before we dig deeper into this shuffle. The Curia, the Roman Curia is the Pope's civil service, if you wish, or the uh, administration, the bureaucracy that assists the, every Pope uh, to carry out his mission as the center of unity and orthodoxy in the Catholic Church. You have about 3,000 people working in the Roman Curia, everything from cardinals, archbishops, bishops, priests, uh, men and women religious, lay people. These are the people who help the Pope. Francis has insisted that the new document says they're not just there to serve the Pope, to help assist the Pope. They're also there to assist the bishops in the local churches. So it's an operation of service to ensuring things work well, both for the Pope and for the local bishops. It's not a control body. And, and this isn't simply a, a structural kind of document, right? I mean, there's a spirit to this document too, is there? It's it's a mixture of things. First of all, there's a spirit. And Francis has always set out to saying that he was out to change the culture, to change the way of thinking, the way of doing things. His messages, and Cardinal Gracias, you remember in an interview with me, said at the heart of it, the hallmark of the document is service. We're there to serve not to dominate, not to rule, not to dictate, to serve. Secondly, it's a missionary message. He's put evangelization, a missionary church, at the heart of the document. And this changes the perspective, because in the past, the key, the top office in the, in the Roman Curia, you might consider them as ministries or departments, the top one was the doctrine of the faith. Now Francis is putting evangelization as the, the top office in the Roman Curia. Then the document will, of course, set out demarcation lines for the different offices of the Vatican, what each one is expected to do, how they are structured, etc. And remember, there have been only five or six. There's a small number. We can count in one, certainly in two hands, the number of constitutions that have actually been produced over the course of centuries. So it's a, a rather rare event. This constitution comes at the end of a long restructuring period that started almost nine years ago when Francis was elected, 13 March 2013. He began almost immediately the process for the reform of the Roman Curia. At, and that was at the request of the cardinals in the conclave. Now he has gone through major restructuring 
and some of it is still underway as, as we talk. But by the time it comes out, and certainly by June, this restructuring will have been finished. The, doc, the, the constitution itself could come as early as Easter, Cardinal Gracius told me. In 2022, 10 cardinals will turn 80. That means they will no longer be able to participate in the election of a new pope. Of those 10, six participated in the 2013 conclave that elected Pope Francis. Pope Francis is not just shifting structures and offices. High-profile positions at the Vatican will become vacant, and the pope needs to fill these. Jerry, again quoting from your article, you say that the Pope will replace many, if not all, of the senior Vatican officials uh, in this new year, since many of them will have come to the retirement age of 75. Some of these names of the cardinals will be familiar to our listeners. Cardinal Louis Ladaria, the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, and Cardinal Marc Ouellette, the prefect of the Congregation for Bishops. Both Cardinal Ladaria and Cardinal Ouellette will be 78 this year. Jerry, just off the bat, I have a question. The Pope is in office for life, and yet senior Vatican officials are expected to retire at 75. Why is that? This was uh, introduced first by Paul VI, who determined that not just senior officials should retire, but the cardinals at the age of 80 would lose their vote in the conclave. Paul VI did this because of his experience in conclave. And he saw there were very some very, very old cardinals, far over the age of 80. And uh, so some of them were really complicating life enormously. And he, he felt that, you know, given that the lifespan of people is growing, do we want to continue leaving them in office until the end of their natural lifespan? Well, it's very interesting, for example, if today Pope Benedict had not resigned, he, he's now on almost 95, but he has to be helped in so many different ways. So it was this kind of logic that lifespan is is, is increasing, and so we, we have to put in some natural limits. So the, the one, and I think there is widespread uh, uh, agreement on it, is that the Pope should be there for life, because otherwise people will start jockeying for position. They started putting pressure on him if they know that at the age of 79, at the age of 84, he's now 85. They can put pressure on him and make make it difficult. And since he's the center of unity and orthodoxy in the church, uh, there's a widespread belief, uh, feeling that he, he should be there for life un unless he decides to resign. So nobody can push him out of office. Whereas heads of office who would be the equivalent of ministries or secretaries in the American system, uh, they can be replaced after one year, after two years, but after they normally have a five-year term of office. And this is what's happening, that after five years, the Pope either decides to renew their them for another five years, but if they're on 75, he may extend their, their term of office without giving them five years. And so several of the people I have mentioned, I think seven of them at least in, in my article, they are now 78, 79, one reaching the age of 80, the Cardinal Ravazzi. Mm. So as, as the Pope is looking towards this, you know, shifting his senior officials, what, what is Pope Francis' strategy for appointing these men to these roles? Well, there are two things. Up to now, Francis has kept 
in office some of the people appointed by Benedict. Uh, for example, uh, Cardinal Marc Ouellet, the, uh, the prefect, the head of the Congregation of Bishops, which is a very, very influential role. He, he was appointed by Benedict. Francis confirmed him and kept him in office, but he, he will now be reaching the age of 78 on the 8th of June. And so uh, Francis has, for the first time, the real likelihood of making all the senior officials, men chosen by him or women chosen by him. And that's important, right? I mean, I, I said men, but you're also saying now women, because there have been women in the mix. And we've seen this with, uh, for example, Sister Alessandra Smerili, who is the secretary of the Dicastery uh, for Human Development at the Vatican. Yes. And Francis has uh, put uh, the number two of the Vatican city-state, the government the governorship, as it were, of the whole Vatican city-state is now a woman. So the, the head of the Vatican museums is a woman. The scene is changing, Ricardo. The scene is changing. So we could see women at the helm of some of these departments in 2022? I don't think the departments that we're talking about, we're likely to see women have those positions yet. But Francis is opening up. You know, one pope sows the seeds and another pope sees the flowers grow. And uh, I, I think... Uh, in, in years, maybe things will change. Uh, right now, he's appointing, he's appointed a lot of women. But of course, for some people, this is too slow. But for, for others, uh, he's moving too fast. And so when you're Pope, you've got to kind of have a speed that you don't lose all your passengers on, on route. It's a Goldilocks moment, too hot, too cold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it really does seem like this is an all-change kind of year at the Vatican, right? I, I would describe it as a year where uh, Francis will, this year and next year, Francis will really leave his mark on the church in a big way. For he will be appointing men, in, in this case men, to senior positions who will probably uh, be there when the next pope is elected. He will could have well appoint some young men who will be there for the next 10, 15 years. These will be men chosen by him alone, not inherited from a previous pontificate. It's the oldest enduring electoral system in the world, and many of its traditions have been unchanged for centuries. According to the Conclave laws, only 120 cardinals, those under the age of 80, are allowed in the Sistine Chapel. That is why popes appoint new cardinals when there are enough openings in the college. In the second half of this year, Pope Francis is likely to hold a consistory to create new cardinals. He will name at least 10 new cardinal electors, which would increase the number of electors created by him in the College of Cardinals by the end of 2022 to at least 72. There are 120 total electors, so this is a significant shift. Once you're 80, you can no longer vote in a conclave, and there will be 10 electors approaching this age. So these will be replaced this year. Jerry, you've written the book, uh, The Election of Pope Francis, an inside account of the conclave that changed history, which tells the story of Pope Francis' election and that, that conclave. Break down the importance of this particular consistory for us. Francis already has appointed 
created is the word they may you create a cardinal jerry i'm going to stop you there what does it mean to say that we create a cardinal but we elect a bishop the the uh, the election of the bishop is is uh, they they speak about the nomination of a bishop really because the only place really where there's actually voting goes on apart from in the eastern churches is in in china today where they actually vote but the nomination of bishops, this is done in the consultation. So they they vote in in fact in the congregation of bishops or in the congregation for the evangelization of peoples or in the Eastern churches. They vote and then they take the the, the ones who've been voted to the Pope. And we have a great deep dive on that. So you know I'm going to direct our listeners to that. But tell me about this creation of a cardinal. The creation is that the Pope alone does it. He makes somebody who was not a cardinal. He takes him and makes him, creates him, makes him a cardinal. Nobody else can make him a cardinal, only the Pope. But what is very significant is you have currently, you have actually 122 electors, which is the ceiling that was set by Pope Paul VI. Francis has over 68, I think, of them. Currently, when he will hold the consistory, and I believe it will be in the second half of this year, he will have 10 vacant spaces because 10 cardinals who are now electors will reach the age of 80 in the course of 2022. He will make 10. He could make more. He could make 15. He could make 20. It's up to him. He's the top legislator. But he will certainly make 10, and that would take the number of electors made by him to 72. That's roughly 60% of the actual voters. To be elected, you would need two-thirds plus one of the number of electors in the Sistine Chapel. Presuming there are would be 120, the magic number would be 81. So if at the end of 2022, Francis has made 10 new electors and no elector has died, then he will have made 72 out of the 120 who could go into a conclave. But to get elected, you would need 81. Now, obviously, some of those who were elected before him are very strong supporters of Francis. So they would be in his block, as it were. Let's let's talk about that, his block, right? I mean, I think that's a really important uh line because obviously there are there are those who've criticized the Pope of just putting people who fit his agenda in as cardinals. This Pope is not just a yes man, or is he? I mean, you know, who who is he choosing for these roles and why? All popes since roughly the twelve hundred have chosen men as cardinals whom they favor, who they feel reflect their vision of church. Francis is very clear about the vision of church that he wants. It's a missionary church. It's a church caring for the poor. It's a church reaching out. It's a non-judgmental church. Uh, and so the cardinals that he chooses actually reflect this. And they also rep- reflect the, the geographical spread of the Catholic Church. They reflect the different countries, but also the peripheries, places which would never have had cardinals before, he sets out to make cardinals there. So they combine a vision of church. And this is true of all the popes. 
So it doesn't mean that they need to agree on everything, right? But Pope Francis is stressing this idea of synodality. So he's really looking for men who fit this vision of synodality of church. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is one of the characteristics. They would have to be humble men, not princes, people who, who are close to the people, people who are very concerned with the poor and, if possible, live austere poor lives. Uh, These are the things, but also have this synodal spirit that, you know, it's not a church where we teach and you follow. It's a church where we're all members of the people of God, each having a different role, but we're working together. It's a paradigm shift in the church. Perhaps the more radical change that Francis is, is introducing. He's going back centuries, and it's a change that will enable the whole effort at Christian unity to advance a step, because other Christian churches work in this way. Pope Francis had a final send-off from Baghdad, a thank you from this nation for a brave trip. Trust and acceptance are the two things the Pope asked of Catholics in Greece, who make up 1% of the country's 11 million inhabitants. We've spoken a lot about the ad intra changes, the shaking up of structures and people inside the Vatican. But the Pope has a job outside the Vatican as well, and his mission to the people of the world the shepherd of the universal church. After Pope John Paul II, he is the second most traveled pope in history. And in his eight-year tenure as pope so far, he's made 35 foreign trips and visited 53 countries. This year, he's planning to add to that tally. So I'm going to play a game with you, Jerry, because I know there's quite a list here. Can you name off the top of your head all the countries that the Pope is visiting this year. South Sudan, the Congo, that will be one trip. Papua New Guinea, uh, Indonesia, Timor-Leste, and probably Singapore. Hungary, Malta. Uh, Oh, and one more, Lebanon. (laughs) That's quite a mouthful. So of these trips, which ones do we know are on the cards and the Pope is planning for? He's wanted to go to South Sudan, where the peace process has has been going for some years now. And our listeners will remember how he kissed the feet of the political leaders of South Sudan. He kissed them when they came to the Vatican to get them to please make peace for the sake of your people. He wants to go to that country with the Archbishop of Canterbury. And if he goes there, probably in the middle of the year, the the Vatican's foreign minister has been to the country and has said, yes, the the conditions are right. Uh, The Vatican's foreign minister is going to the Lebanon in February, and I think we can expect a visit there too. Francis, if he goes to South Sudan, will go to the Congo, two in Africa. Then he'll go to Asia. This is a trip that he had planned in 2020, but had to be canceled because of the COVID, the pandemic. He, it will take him, it's a big trip. It goes to Papua New Guinea and then to Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. He will go to Timor-Leste, very small, just over 1 million people, the most Catholic country in Asia, and Singapore. And, and Jerry, there is another trip, right? 
he, this trip to Hungary is quite an important one uh, to see that supposedly the patriarch of Moscow, um, Kirill, that's the plan. Well, the, the, the plan is that Francis has promised the president of Hungary that he will go in 2022 or 2023. It seems very likely he will go in 2022. One of the possibilities is that he can meet the patriarch of Moscow there in a Benedictine monastery in Hungary. Now, nobody in the Vatican has confirmed this yet, nor in the Patriarchate of Moscow. Francis said, I'm ready to go to Moscow. I'm ready to go to Finland. Wherever the Patriarch wants, I will go. So Francis has left all option open. It seems the political leaders in the country, President Putin and so, would be happy for the Pope to come to Moscow. But apparently there is not such consensus in the Orthodox Church. They would prefer, I think, that he meets the Patriarch in a neutral venue. And Hungary would be a venue because it's a place where the popes have gone before to this monastery. And it's a place where Kirill himself has been before. The thing I just want to go a little further on is why is it so important uh, for the pope to visit with the Patriarch of Moscow? It would be the only the second time in history that the leader of the largest Orthodox Church in the world today would actually meet in the Pope. Francis met him in 2016, early 2016, in Havana, in Cuba. It was the first meeting ever between a Pope and the Patriarch of Moscow. John Paul II tried to get it, he couldn't get it. Uh, Benedict tried to get it, he couldn't get it. Francis broke the ice. And uh, there is a real possibility now because the signals from Moscow is, yes, the Patriarch would like to meet the Pope. The Pope would like to meet the Patriarch. And so I think we're on a, on a track to a second historic meeting. And if he does do that, uh, you're almost certainly to be there. So we'll bring that trip. Jerry, one last thought. It's customary to make New Year's resolutions, right? Or an intention at the start of the year. If you were to sum up the Pope's agenda and his plans for the new year, what are the key words or themes that immediately come to mind? First of all, adelante. Keep going forward. That's Francis's message. Reach out. Se secondly, take notice of the poor and those on the verge of society, of the migrants. I think these would be the messages. And thirdly, let us move together as church in a synodal way. Yeah, synodality is key this year. We, we know that, right? The diocesan process is underway and soon those reports will come into the Vatican towards the end of the year. Um, and so there will be plans around synodality certainly this coming year. Jerry, thank you. This has been a delight. It's been fun to stand in for Colleen. Uh, she'll be back next week, I'm sure. Well, Ricardo, it's been great to be with you. And uh, of course, I've missed Colleen and I look forward to being back with her next week. Great. Thank you, Jerry. Before we go, I just want to round up some of the articles we've published on the America Magazine website over the Christmas break, in case you missed them. We'll link to all of them in the show notes, but here goes. Top of the list, of course, is Jerry's coverage of the Pope's action-packed agenda, which includes far more than we've covered on the show today. You can also read reports of the Pope's Christmas and year-end messages and the full texts of his homilies over this time. 
In the spirit of the new year, we also have eight Pope Francis-inspired New Year's resolutions for you, which is available as an article on our website and also on the America Media YouTube channel, which makes it easier to share on social media. So we hope you'll do that. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Sound engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from America Media's Kira Handlin, Kevin Jackson, and Vivian Richard at the Jesuit headquarters in Rome. You can find up-to-date and in-depth Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter. That's at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside, without the second I, Vatican Pod. And if as part of your New Year's resolutions, you want to support the work we do on Inside the Vatican, the best way to do that is to become a subscriber of America Magazine. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe to purchase your subscription today. Thank you for listening to Inside the Vatican. I'm Ricardo De Silva. Colleen will be back behind the mic with Jerry next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.